I think always good opportunity to continue the onboarding experience. It's sort of my world for quite a bit at LinkedIn. Our new hire onboarding program would last two, three months where we would kind of list out pre-work and then put them through an immersive live uh, experience. Um, Obviously, when the world turned upside down, we did that all virtually. But uh, following the training, we then put them through some post-training certification program and they're off on their way. Um, But finding better, you know, finding ways to uh, still accommodate those groups, um, maybe across the first year is is definitely ideal. And uh, we had something that was um, in place that was more casual. It was optional, but encouraged. It fell into that category and uh, was still helpful. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Garrett Ravels. Garrett is the Senior Director of the Center of Excellence at GymPass. Before that, he worked in a variety of sales roles for LinkedIn before becoming a global sales onboarding leader in their center of excellence. Now, it's always fun to talk with someone who has successfully worked in a sales role before transitioning into an enablement leadership position. And in our conversation today, Garrett and I talk about the keys to effective sales enablement in today's sales environment. Garrett breaks those keys down to three primary areas, mindset, skill set, and tool set. We dig into how you train for mindset and values. We get into how enablement factors the experiences buyers have with your sellers into their enablement plans. We dive into enablement for frontline managers, and we dig into why sellers might be interested in looking at sales enablement as a career option and how to go about that. So we get into all of this and much, much more. But before we get to Garrett, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And I want to remind you also to check out my latest book, Sell Without Selling Out. It is a modern human-oriented framework for increasing your win rates and shortening decision cycles without using the salesy behaviors that your buyers hate. It's available everywhere you shop for books, online, and in stores. All right, let's jump into it. All right, Garrett, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Well, pleasure to have you. Um, So tell folks a little bit about you and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my name is Garrett Raffles. I work uh, currently at GymPass as a senior director for their Center of Excellence division. been here for about three, four months now, really focused on all things sales training and um, really getting deep into things like sales process, sales methodology, and at a deeper level, sales culture. Um, but prior to joining GymPass, I uh, was at LinkedIn for nearly eight years, actually over eight years. Mm-hmm. So, uh, as a sales rep and on their sales readiness division, handling things like new hire onboarding training and um, sales methodology training as well. So, this tell me about the center of excellence because I see I see a few more companies now sort of using that term around enablement. Um, so, and I think you sort of wasn't that LinkedIn? Weren't you also sort of a center of excellence? Correct. Yeah. So at LinkedIn, I was part yeah. of the the center of excellence team. Um, but that kind of acted as a catch-all for a lot of our different training programs. So our okay. you know, uh, new hire onboarding, manager training, high potentials training, um, sales development academy. And so at Gym Pass, we're looking to sort of move in the, a similar direction where mm-hmm. we're you know, first kicking off with sort of a university of sales, if you will, um, trying to just lay the groundwork for what sales training means and uh, you know, adding some body to it, defining it, and then 
kind of going from there, um, building it all out. Well, okay. Well, that triggers the question. So what, what does sales training mean these days? <laughs> <laughs> so sales training, um, because it's a, it's a big all encompassing term, but on one hand, yeah, I, you know, read reports and so on saying, well, you know, senior level people sometimes sort of skeptical about sales training because not sure they see the ROI for it. Um, other hands, you know, some companies are sort of obligatory about how they do it. I mean, others are really committed to it. I mean, what, yeah, what is it these days? Well, I think it's definitely evolved for sure. Um, you know, the ways, the, the ways in which you and I were introduced um, from your colleague, obviously, Amy, who had joined um, one of my sessions uh, where I spoke at the Sales and Element Conference in New York a couple of months mm-hmm. back. And I talked about how to make sales training suck less. <laughs> and um, <laughs> that was, the, that was the, the title of the presentation in which I talked about how, you know, obviously training is, I think that for a lot of reps, uh, not fun. So the idea was to just think about how to make it, um, you know, less painful for reps. And ideally, fun. So, um, you know, I think sales training is something that's uh, been gone back to the drawing board from a lot of different leaders in the space. And mm-hmm. uh, at its core, it's about equipping our sales reps with the right knowledge, skills, mindset, skill set, tool set to feel like they could drive the most productive conversations with their customers. I think it's evolved from just being a sort of reactive initiative to being much more proactive. And I think the most agile companies think about it in that way, where they try to put a pin down on what exactly could be most beneficial for their sales reps. Maybe it's discovery. Maybe it's um, revamping the sales process as a whole. Maybe it's um, leadership development. Either way, um, I think that the way that it's it's grown, um, it's become, there's there's never been a, I think there's a, a pretty bright spotlight now on, on looking at ways to, to rethink the world of sales training today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I think is, is necessary because I, I think it's, it's not really been about the content. It's always been about how it's presented in my mind, right? As is, sure, some is, you said, how to make it suck less. I mean, oftentimes, again, it's not that the content's not useful. It's just how it's presented or... Uh, yeah, lack of reinforcement or, you know, various sort of shortcomings that exist because it seems like, yeah, I don't want to throw shade on sales trainers because I think they, you know, they have oftentimes a lot of good things to say, but it's sort of how we go about it that's been the issue. Yeah. Um, again, I think there's lots of opportunity there to, uh, to really think about how we can better engage with our sales teams. You know, salespeople have it hard. Uh, I think that to be a yeah. sales rep, um, it's a mixed bag of being able to do a lot of heads down work and research and also to talk to strangers. And <laughs> there's mm-hmm. a, a lot of work where you're doing non, you know, non-variable comp work and then also right. doing it for the sake of high variable comp. And uh, right. it takes a certain kind of person to be successful in sales. And it's our job on the sales and implement side to make sure that whatever training we decide to commit to, it actually lands with the field. Um, and it truly helps reps be better at what they do and to focus on what they're getting paid to do, which is to sell, engage with customers. And any bottlenecks that could be in their way, preventing them from doing that, should be things that we should try to take away or mm-hmm. um, just just polish up, you know? Well, so you were in sales for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. What was the motivation for you to say, okay, 
I want to jump into enablement. Yeah, I think it was a it was a bit of a journey for me. I had been selling um, for about seven years uh, before I started to consider going the sales of the sales enablement route. And uh, I think that what what really did it for me was. I think I was generally pretty good at sales. I think I was a natural mm-hmm. in my personality, but um, I think that it was one of those things where just because it's a strength doesn't mean it strengthens you, right? Um, mm-hmm. Didn't feel yeah. like yeah. I wanted to continue going down that route when you're in sales. Pretty much the two directions you could go in are to continue to follow the individual contributor level of you know, levels of enterprise, large enterprise, et cetera. Right. And there's also sales leadership, but sales enablement was was really interesting to me because I felt like it was a world that was um, hasn't hasn't really been explored as uh, as much. I think it's mm-hmm. fairly new, um, and there's just so much you can do with it. And um, I think that the the challenge of going into these uh, uncharted territories was really interesting to me. Um, I loved helping out my reps. I loved, uh, or, or, uh, you know, my peers, I loved, um, and really enjoyed mentorship and, and, and coaching and thinking through better ways to make the teams better rather than just myself. Um, and yeah, I think that's a, yeah, I, I think it played a big role. Were you ever sort of nervous that, Oh God, there's no going back. <laughs> like, you know, if it didn't work out, I mean, I've, Earlier in my career, I was managing some teams at some startups. I, we were selling really technical products, and I sort of made a habit of recruiting people from engineering to come over into sales. And uh, yeah, once they sort of got over the, once they learned what selling was really about, and not you know it wasn't about you know heavy-handed persuasion of people to do something they didn't want to do, but about solving problems and helping customers. The next sort of last big concern was, yeah, can I go back? <laughs> really that's how they felt yeah it's like it's like going to the dark side right do I, if I do this yeah, maybe I'll still go back you know which almost none of them did by the way but uh, once I sort of got into it but you're ever concerned about that is yeah maybe sort of lose your chops personally I I never felt that um, yeah never felt wanting to go back I really enjoyed being a sales rep I was very fortunate to be fairly successful and to close some uh, memorable deals. But when I got into the sales enablement side, it just clicked immediately. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I loved doing research. I loved building things. I loved thinking through how our decisions on this side of the fence could have, you know, org-wide implications across the, you know, our, our sales division. I loved thinking about that and creating or working on projects or creating programs that um, everyone could find valuable. You know, I'd, I'd often see from, um, you know, other projects being worked on in sales enablement that, you know, I'd, I'd say to myself, this could be better, or they're not considering the realities of what we do as reps, or maybe that there were a lot of folks who didn't have that real-world sales experience so that they couldn't really empathize with what we do. And I had that. And I think being on this side and being able to lean on that kind of experience just really adds a whole lot to any program or project I commit to. And I love having that. Um, it's, it's, it's really fun to talk about. It's really fun to think through. And uh, mm-hmm. pretty much my job is to research, think, and teach all day long. Um, and to also try to understand what decisions we can make 
that are going to be most beneficial for the business as a whole. All of that, you know, gets you sort of in that entrepreneurial mindset. It gets you thinking about mm-hmm. how to be, um, you know, this 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 all star cross functional partner. Um, right. You know, think about psychological safety. Think about company culture. You think about retention, turnover, burnout, all these things that help an organization really keep that glue together. Uh, in sales enablement, sales enablement, we play a big role with that. Um, and in, and at GenPass, uh, I like to think I, I do there as well. So to me, it's just really, really fun. Yeah, I mean, gosh, several questions I want to unpack out of that. Um, well, first one is, is, in your mind, is having experience carrying a bag, quote-unquote carrying a bag, is that necessary for somebody to go into enablement? In part, I've, the question's been with me for a couple of years because I remember the last time I went to I don't know, sales enablement society conference. Uh, I think it was right before the pandemic, the year fall before the pandemic, shut things down, and going into a number of uh, breakout sessions and thinking, "Wow, there's a lot of people here that uh, yeah are getting into enablement that didn't have that background." And so I was thinking, "Well, okay, well, who's enabling the enablers?" Yeah, I think it's a really good question. It depends on what you love to do and also what really strengthens you, right? Um, if you're – there's different facets of sales enablement, right? You can go into the role enablement route where you're providing sales support, um, researching things on ideal customer profiles, buyer acumen, mm-hmm. competition. That's more per, you know, program management oriented and – Right. Do you need sales experience for that? No, you just need to really enjoy researching and um, collaborating with folks internally. Like all that, right, is is is, uh, mm-hmm. is just fine. Um, if you're passionate about coaching and teaching, if you're passionate about training and really getting into the classroom and thinking about, hey, how can we best support our new hires with training or uh, develop an everboarding program where we train current tenured reps on new sales skills? Yeah, it's really helpful to have that experience. So it depends on where you want to fall, you know, um, what what really gets you going, right? There's another pocket of sales enablement around systems and tools. Do you need sales experience? Of course not. Um, you just really need to be, you know, and, and enjoying that field of work. And I think that that is just fine. Um, but yeah. does it help carrying a bag? Absolutely. I think it does nothing but benefit you. Um, because then you're able to better empathize with your sales reps, better have better empathy for the customer, have better empathy for the leaders and your internal stakeholders. Right now, you understand the weight of your decisions and what your commitments mean when you have when you've Absolutely. had that experience before. You know. Yeah, I love the expression you just used. Everboarding. I have to admit that's the first time I've heard that. That's good. I like that. <laughs> there you go. You can take it. It's all yours. Yeah. No. But I mean, I, I love it. I think it's it's a great great description of of. Because, yeah, there's so much focus. You know, people talk about onboarding and you know, bringing people to speed, but it's, I think it's just as important as, as you've talked about, or referenced with that, with that expression is, what are we doing for the people who have been in it for a while? How are we keeping them fresh and up to date? And sometimes I feel like that gets overlooked a lot of times. Yeah, certainly. There is, I think, Always good opportunity to continue the onboarding experience. That's sort of my world for quite a bit at LinkedIn. Our new hiring right. program would last two, three months where we would kind of list out pre-work and then 
put them through an immersive live uh, experience. Um, obviously, when the world turned upside down, we did that all virtually. But uh, following the training, we then put them through some post-training uh, certification program, and they're off on their way. Mm-hmm. Um, but finding better, you know, finding ways to uh, still accommodate those groups, um, maybe across the first year, is, is definitely ideal. And uh, we had something that was um, in place that was more casual. It was optional but encouraged. It fell into that category, mm-hmm. and uh, it was still helpful. But um, yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you about something because I I read something about this fascinating program that um, I think it was in Chicago school district, uh, high school or elementary, most of high school, I guess, is, uh, and I think it's Chicago, the main district in Chicago, just made Chicago unified, um, where the way they supported at-risk students, you know, academically at-risk students through the first year of high school. Uh, they had this fresh program called Freshman on Track. And the whole thing was geared to ensure that, that those in this program achieved some level of success, right? Where they were, uh, you know, got the gratification and the experience of succeeding and motivated to, to keep on going and to do more perhaps the subsequent year. And it was, it was as I was reading about that, I thought, Ah, this would be a great model for sales, right? For first-year sellers to say, look, you know, I think one of the issues I see repeatedly is that many organizations aren't intentional about ensuring that people experience some level of success because I think confidence is bred from, from success. Sure. And so success when it builds on success is, I thought, God, this would be a great model for like the first year of sellers. Right, you're enrolled in this program where you've got this team of people there just to ensure, in a very tangible way, with with, with different milestones. Just oh, they've reached full productivity in six weeks. Right, is you know some very maybe smaller targets, smaller things you can do, more bite size, but you get this feeling of having accomplished something and gaining this this confidence that I find that you know many sellers that come in early that, that churn out never experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think it's a great, great idea to kind of approach, um, you know, training in general, not just onboarding, but training, um, you know, really giving folks an opportunity to understand what gets them going, what gets them motivated. Um, I think that too, what it reminds me of is an exercise that really kind of um, made an impact on me was mm-hmm. from Conscious Business with Fred Kaufman um, in a program. Uh, uh, with that title and he talked about in his trainings about the coat of arms and exercise where he would uh, ask people in the class to draw a line down the middle and say hey I want you to create your own personal coat of arms on one end I want you to list out all the things that um, make you feel like your best self and on the right side Mm -hmm. I want you to write I am my worst self when and to just kind of you know jot down things that really stand out for themselves to know that make them say, Mm -hmm. okay, this is when I, I feel like I, I am my best when I'm motivated. Um, when I, uh, when I go to bed at night and feel like it was really a good day. And these are the things I, I act like, or, um, what I do when I don't feel as proud of myself or when I feel as if I, I could have done a better job. And then that kind of gives them some sort of better handle on their identity. And then from there that acts as this, this uh, this glue for their motivators as they continue to sort of find success. 
um, kind of guides them, if you will, uh, moving forward. No, I love that, that coat of arms idea. Um, yeah, I like that. I mean, I, I just, I don't know, I, I see the data. We all see the data, the you know, falling percentage of reps, hitting quota, yada, yada, yada. In general, you know, if you look at all of this, there are disparate data points about sales performance. It sort of paints kind of a grim picture on one hand. But I wondered, you know, as I think about that, it's like, well, that's part of it is are we just, are we measuring success in just sort of too macro of a level? And maybe we need to, like I said, break it down into smaller, smaller components. Uh, you know, sort of change how we how we assign quotas or assign goals, mm -hmm. and maybe even change the frequency with which we yeah you know, we measure, so that because I think we, know, we've got such a tremendous turnover problem in sales in general. Not this would necessarily address all of it, but I think a lot of people are just lacking the confidence that they can do the job. And it seems like we could do a better job of sort of inculcating that basic degree of confidence in them. By the way, I mean, I know it's not so true what you're doing at Gym Pass, but I mean, some SaaS companies, it's like, yeah, we expect people to have full productivity in six weeks. Well, what does that mean? Right? Not, is that even realistic? And why should that even be realistic? What happened to sales being an apprenticeship? Which it fundamentally was, and I think probably still is to some degree. Um, where it gave people a little more time in a structured way to, to learn their trade. I think that'd be really helpful. I think that, that, that that's a great approach because sales is sort of a craft, right? Um, yeah. You know, it deserves, uh, you know, I think every sales rep should have a mentor slash coach, um, both separate people acting as that, if you will. Um, I think that it should, it's, it's, it's something that should be uh, practiced often, even beyond the sales calls, right? They should be thinking mm -hmm. about their approach and um, kind of sharpening their, uh, 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 their, their tool set um, outside of the conversations. And so, yeah, I think an apprenticeship is, is definitely ideal, but it also makes sense that organizations don't really invest in things like that because there's just not enough time. When an org decides to commit to a rep, they think, okay, this person needs to hit the ground running as fast as possible and sell immediately so I can get my money's worth, right? Um, I know, but isn't that the issue is they should be, and the, I know we're talking more globally here, but isn't that really fundamentally one of the issues is that is that organizations, not just startups, but even you know larger organizations, sort of lost this the sense that yeah we're making a little bit longer term investment in this individual as opposed to hey we've got this short period of time make it or break it because I, I mean think about think about one of the examples I like using is I'm a, you know a huge soccer fan and people who listen to this show regularly know that is yeah it's not unusual to see players adapt to a professional environment at different speeds. You see it in all professional sports, right? Maybe a high draft choice that's not really doing so well the first two years and then suddenly, boom, in the third year, everything starts making sense to them. Mm. And, and it's no different in sales, right? It's, it's, we assume everybody's going to adapt and learn at the same rate, fundamentally. Because, to your point, is you know, hey, we've got to get our payback, but we stop sort of acknowledging that yeah, these are individuals that are going to learn at different rates, and so why can't we accommodate that? Again, not, not, not the question is not pointing to you as an individual. I'm just speaking more more globally here. Of course. It seems like we should be able to, and we, it sounds like we feels like we 
I was just looking at something that today somebody had sent me a spreadsheet, sort of the cost of attrition, cost of unwanted attrition, and and among sales teams. And it's like, yeah, we could address some of this if we were just perhaps more patient. Yeah, no, I think it's a really good call out. There's definitely opportunity to find better ways to make sure that our sales reps feel fully and wholeheartedly confident in what they're doing. Um, I think that you know, oftentimes their uh, you know um, organizations will just bring on board sales reps, put them through whatever onboarding program they have, and then just expect them to just get into the field and start selling, selling, selling. And yeah, you can miss so many opportunities with that, right? And again, you know, like I was mentioning before, is I get it, right? Like an organization wants to prioritize revenue driving initiatives, like getting their sales reps to sell as fast as possible. But you're absolutely right. There's opportunity to um, make sure that they are getting into the field with the best knowledge possible, with the best techniques possible, and um, are also given time to kind of sharpen those skills so that they do feel like they're they're showing up in the right ways, not just from a product knowledge standpoint, but from market market landscape standpoint, but from a um, you know uh, being being a genuine human seller standpoint, from yeah. um, you know uh, 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 you know sharing sharing their experience and whatnot. So yeah, there's there's definitely opportunity there, um, and yeah, I think that organizations that are invested in sales enablement, divisions like Center of Excellence, um, they they are. Yeah. You know, that's that's a, a way in which we can accommodate sales reps in, 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 a, in that kind of way. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was um, thinking back to a report that Bravado put out, about 21, 2021 sales result, you know, sales performance. And um, remember the statistics, like only one in four sales teams, so 25% of sales teams only one in four sales teams had, um, gosh, had all their sellers over 75% of quota or something like that. And it was just like, yeah, it just was like, okay, we keep seeing these statistics. We just, we need to try something different. And this, this idea that what we're doing is proven and works is belied by the fact that we still have so few reps hitting quota predictably and reliably. Um, so why don't we rethink it? <laughs> it seems to be less expensive in the long run. Try something new. So, um, yeah, that's me on my soapbox about that. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, j- just to add my two cents on that, right? Because like what you're saying is, sure. I think, a really innovative way of going about sales training. But innovation, you know, intrinsically is about, um, you know, uh, having a bit of creative freedom to think through better ways of doing something. Right. And in that kind of thinking is also admitting that we could be doing things better, right? So there's a, mm-hmm. in innovation, innovation is, if you're asking your company to be more innovative, what you're asking your people to do is to have more failure, is to commit to more trial and error, to yep. think creatively and to try things out, right? That's innovation. Yeah. Um, and that sort of like goes back to like it, you can almost you could almost say that that's the uh, you know that that kind of way of thinking can be directly correlated with the ways in which we want our sales reps to be doing their discovery, for instance, right? Um, mm-hmm. Just for just for one example, uh, you know, we want them to have more of a growth mindset than a fixed mindset. And mm-hmm. when we go through discovery, we want to 
approach every conversation with genuine curiosity. But yep. um, that's what the most innovative companies do. They're curious. Um, they try things out. They approach things not just with curiosity, but also humility, knowing that they won't have the answers. Right. But in doing that, they say, we're not going to believe our own BS. We want to try that and think like scientists here. And yes. that's what we want to do with our customers, think internally. And that's that sort of uh, the ways and how to, how, to, how to have that growth mindset. But the reality is that I want to say reality, but for, for many organizations, they'll have more of that fixed mindset. You know, they'll, they'll approach with overconfidence. I already have the answers. I have this organization. I'm already successful. Why should I care? Right? Like I, yep. uh, I'll ask questions that only simply validate my beliefs. Um, I'll approach every conversation with a bit of pride because I have the experience necessary to be able to direct um, this customer or direct my people in whatever way I believe is right. And in that, we lose a lot of opportunity. Um, so yeah, I think that's the, when you say innovation, right, for any organization listening to this episode and saying, I want to be more innovative, what you're saying is that you want your people or you want your organization to, you're asking them to be more creative. And in that, by virtue of that, asking them to, to try new things, uh, and, and to and risk to, failure again, risk failure. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so here's one that's not really an enablement, but tangential to enablement, I think, but is, it was a discussion with some people last week about mental health and sales. Um, and I was like, okay, well, how many sellers, we know the statistics, how many lost days there are for sales. And there's been a couple studies on Crushed, uh, Sales Health Alliance and others have, have looked at this. Sales Psych in the UK did as well. Is, um, how many sellers do you need to have where you could justify having a mental health professional on set to help the sellers? Mm. Right? Where they've got this performance-based profession. We know in professional sports, almost every professional sports team has a, a on-staff psychologist, sports psychologist, or you know, access to the equivalent full-time resource. We know that it would make sellers many sellers help improve their performance, help them deal with some of the stresses that are eating away at their performance or some of the other, you know, uh, it's, you know anxiety, depression, and so on. Why it seems like this is almost like a no brainer, right? And yet it's, it's, you know, considered hugely controversial and you bring it up with groups. It's like, Oh my gosh, you know, we could never afford that. It's like, Oh, all right, you can afford to bring on two or three sellers who aren't coming even close to hitting their numbers. Why can't you bring on a resource that would give you a higher chance of the people that are on the team performing at higher levels? I like the idea. I'm pausing because I'm thinking about yeah. having a sort of sales enablement guidance counselor, if you will, <laughs> right? Well, yeah. I mean, I think enablement's a, a perfect place for it to fit. Totally, totally. Um, yeah, I think I think I think there's something to to take away from that, right? Um, you know, this could be a sales enablement kind of bucket. Um, it could fall into the bucket of wellness and your therapy programs if you offer it. And um, I mean, like all in all, what is true, whatever the approach is, is that sales reps get burned out fairly quickly, right? Mm -hmm. um, it makes a whole lot of sense why, because we're chasing a carrot every single quarter for some organizations every single month. It'd be really tough yeah. having to be measured 
by a number over and over again. So what do we do about that, right? Um, how do we how do we ensure that our reps are being as productive as possible and um, selling while still maintaining their, their mental health? Uh, the approach could look different for any organization. I think every organization is going to have right. uh, their own identity or their own culture and beliefs. But it isn't. I think right. at, at a base level, just being self-aware as a company is the very first step um, to understanding whether or not it becomes more of an investment in sales enablement, maybe in sales training, maybe in sales leadership so that uh, you know managers have um, more of a handle on how to uh, be there for their people in ways that go beyond just being a boss, but being a leader, um, which actually right. you mentioned in your book. Yeah, I do mention my book. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you. Well, I think... I think this goes back to sort of the innovation thing again is, is for me, you know, so much of, of what happens in sales today is, is largely unchanged from the way it's been for decades, if not longer. You know, it's sort of the mindsets we have about how we manage our people and, and look at them as resources and how we, how we enable them. I mean, even though some companies I know are doing much better, but I mean, it's, it's like, yeah, we just need to change and try something different. And, and yeah, I'm a, yeah, the whole mental health thing. I, I, I don't know, you've watched the show Billions. I haven't watched it, no, but I've heard amazing things about it. Yeah, a great show. But, you know, one of the main characters is this, you know, high pressure, high intensity trading floor for a hedge fund. And, you know, one of the key employees is the staff psychologist, or actually, I think she was a shrink psychiatrist. But, you know, people just drop in. Yeah, you know, they had a tough day on the trading floor. And I thought, wow, that makes so much sense. I mean, we've got, we've got floors like that full of salespeople, or we did, but we've got you know, virtual floors full of salespeople that, to your point earlier, is this is just hard, hard work. It's, it's not gotten any easier. Um, I don't know. I think, I think this is, is part of enablement that we should be looking at and investing in. I think it's a fantastic idea, honestly. Um, and they've got me more curious about billions. I'm gonna have to, gonna have yeah. to watch that after I finish Stranger Things. Yeah, it's a very entertaining <laughs> show. Um, well, I mean, along the same lines is, so I have this, yeah, some people think crazy idea, which is, okay, we see the statistics from both the, you know, uh, the seller's perspective as well as you know, research perspective. Not enough coaching goes on with frontline managers, with their sellers, or at other levels. So, fine. Why do managers have to be coaches? Why don't we hire coaches? Dedicated coaches. That's their job. And they don't have to screw with reporting and putting the you know, forecasts together or any of that stuff. They're just there to coach. We could. It's an interesting idea. I think that, that is actually something, too, that we, we even thought about. Uh, at LinkedIn, where we even considered the idea of um, having dedicated coaches just like that. It's just a matter of, um, you know, it's uh, it's a different kind of way of doing things, you know, and that's that's really out there, right? It goes back to innovation um, and our mm. definition for it, where we have to admit something's wrong or we can do something truly, truly better. Uh, but yeah, I think it's I think it's an interesting way of being there for ourselves, you have to do a pretty darn hard job. 
you know? Um, yeah. 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 yeah I, I, it's always been a hard job. <laughs> it hasn't gotten any easier. <laughs> so, um, huh. well, Garrett, it's been fun having you here. Thanks. I appreciate it. It's been fun hanging out. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, I love this podcast. I learned a lot from it. Um, growing up and actually entering sales enablement, um, about what was it five years ago. And, um, you know, this, this, uh, this show helped me a lot to kind of give myself my own identity when I entered this world. So I appreciate you having me. It means a lot. Well, I appreciate the thought you're putting into what you're doing, which is, yeah, not, I don't see it everywhere with enablement. It's, it's really what's required. And I think a willingness to innovate and try new things is, is appreciated because I don't know why we think we have it figured out. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the challenges are there. They're well documented. Um, you know, there's a reluctance, I think, at upper levels to invest in some of these innovations. And But hey, companies can still grow and at heart not be doing a very good job. And, you know, to your point about centers of excellence, it's like, yeah, let's strive for that excellence across the board. And, uh, yeah. Well, Garrett, more people like you will make sure it happens. So thanks for joining me. And if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, yeah, there's a there's a, a network called LinkedIn. If you haven't heard about it, check it out. Oh, yeah, you've heard of that? Heard of it? Yeah. yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, feel free to connect with me on there. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'd love to connect with you guys. We appreciate the time, Andy. Uh, it's been a blast. All right, Garrett. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I am so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank our guest, Garrett Raffles, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.